Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Oh, I'm I'm delighted. We get to discuss Transformer. Uh, That's right. We are back. I like it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a return to the Transformers, but it's a first for Michael Bay. It is a first for us. This is a first Bayverse kind of movie. Um, but this is obviously what we've been doing with this season. We've been returning to certain franchises and doing sequels and sort of follow-ups and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, we are doing the 2007 Transformers film. Um, I'm not even going to bother explaining the plot, if I'm perfectly honest. Transformers come to Earth. There's some fighting and actually some hijinks. And, it, you know, Shia LaBeouf's in it and, Meg- and Megan Fox. That's um, all you need to know. We'll, we'll talk about the plot as we go. Uh, but let's hit it then. Let's get right into it. Uh, Julian, what are your thoughts and initial thoughts on Transformers uh, 2007? Well, maybe we could start with sort of like what we remember of this film at the time. Um, mm. You know, I mean, I think this is a fine movie. I think it holds up. Um, I think it's a, a legit good movie. Uh, it is. We, we talked sort of before the, the podcast about how there are parts of this that are sort of like 10 out of 10 and parts of this that are like two out of 10 or one, you know, it is very uneven. There are just some embarrassing things that are just stupid mistakes that you think, why would you do this in in terms of dialogue or or whatever? It's really embarrassing stuff that I think in retrospect uh, would get worse as the series progresses. You know, one thing I always think about seeing this again is all of the flaws from the later movies are in this film. They're mm. just forgivable in this film. Uh, but those those Michael Bayisms that will eventually just metastasize movie after movie after movie and get worse and worse uh, are already here. You know, the cancer is in the bones of the movie already. Um, but having said that, it's still, it, it is an amazing, amazing film. I, I, I do really enjoy this. Yeah, no, I agree. One of the things I would say is, and I, I want to echo that point is, but I hadn't, I hadn't watched this first film uh, in, in quite a few years. But I have seen some of the sequels more recently. And some of the sequels I really, really don't like. Uh, we may get to them at some point, but I really don't like They're over long, and I think they're sort of like, you know, they, they're too reliant on certain things, and it gets messy. And so I had a... Um, Basically, they had tarnished my memory of this film. Where I was saying to myself, I remember kind of liking this film, but everything else in this franchise is irritates me, or there's parts of that franchise that really bother me. So 
I'm not sure how I feel about that original film. I think it's going to be rubbish. It's Michael Bay. It falls into that Bayverse kind of thing. Oh, he did the Turtles as well, and they're dreadful, and, and so on and so forth. And although he's not directly involved, obviously, this has still got Steven Spielberg in as an executive producer, so you sort of get that feeling there's a bit of the Spielberg influence in this at times. Yeah, you feel it for sure. Yeah, and so watching it this time back, I, I was quite surprised where I got to the end. I was like, huh, I had a lot of fun with that. Like, you know, as you say, <laughs> like, there's moments where I'm scratching my head where I'm like, why, why have you done that? Like, that, <laughs> that part, we'll get to some of them. Um but there's others where I'm just like, yeah, no, this is solid and it's really well shot and it looks good and it's fun. And I mean, just going with mm. it. What I would say is we were on off air. We were talking about some other films that sort of like have this similar feel, but this was one of those films that if eight year old, nine year old me that obviously gone through the Terminator, it's got Terminator cartoons, watched this, it would have blown my mind. Like yeah. absolutely blown my mind, uh, uh, you know, I think that, you know, going back to when it came out, I mean, Transformers was kind of in a bit of a lull. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is a it is amazing. Uh, we're going to do the uh, first uh, three-part uh, series on uh, the Patreon mm -hmm. uh, of the animated show. So, you know, I mean, I grew up on that. I had a bunch of the original toys. Uh, you know, I sort of checked out for, for Beast Wars, and there was a lull in between. And then basically Transformers has gone strong. Mm. Now in the eighties, it was, you know, um, it was sort of competing with GoBots. GI Joe was a much stronger franchise. Yeah, yeah. Now it's the opposite. So, I mean, when, when Transformers came back and today Transformers has of, across all of these shows, which I'm sort of going back and watching stuff that I missed or, or don't remember that well, uh, over 1200 episodes. Wow. I mean, like, no, this is crazy, right? You know, now they're all in crazy different continuities. Continuity has never been the forte of Transformers. <laughs> but, um, and, and sadly so. But, so when this came out, the, the idea of doing a live-action Transformers was mind-blowing. Mm. Um, and this was very much still a sort of 80s nostalgia property. Some people remember Beast Force fondly, but um, you know, for you know, this was part of that sort of 80s nostalgia wave of movies, right? Mm. Um, and we didn't have many of these big superhero movies yet. This is still 2007. We're not into, you know, like the Marvel movies proper, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just barely eking forward. Well, no, um, it would be, be the year after. Both Hulk, both the Incredible oh, right. Hulk and Iron Man would come out in 2008. So this is the year before. Right. So, like, I mean, we've got, like, uh, Fantastic Four and Daredevil mm -hmm. and stuff like that and X-Men and Spider-Man. But um, so the idea of doing live action Transformers was as shocking to me in 2007 as it would have been doing live action dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Yes. Um, you know, this had that kind of like watershed shed, shed movie feel to it. Um, and so... You know, this movie makes a lot of choices with the franchise. Some I like, some I don't. Um, but, and I, a lot, I don't, but I understand why they did. Um, and I don't think they're stupid uh, mm. choices. But, like you said, like the eight-year-old B is just like, I cannot believe some of the stuff in this movie. <laughs> yeah. 
And it is so amazing. And it has so much fun with just the joy of doing this for the first time. Um, even with a small cast of Transformers to keep the CGI budget down, you know, um, it still, it looks great. Uh, you know, the CGI looks better than a lot of movies I see now. Um, mm. Mm. And, you know, it does have the like sort of, you know, to me, Jurassic Park came to mind. Also, the 78 uh, Superman of sort of, you know, you will believe a man can fly. Um, sort of like you will see live action Transformers, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think I think one of the things you, you, you're hitting on the head, I think you are totally right. And I, I, maybe it's too, but this is a seminal film. And I, I don't think people realize why. For some good and for some bad. But you mentioned like the G.I. Joe films. Well, yeah, but the G.I. Joe films with Channing, Channing Tatum and eventually like, The Rock came because of this. Um, we also then got, unfortunately, the redo of the Ninja Turtles and other stuff. But like, it opened up a sort of a realization of like, oh, hang on, those things that have been considered impossible can be done and can be done relatively well or, or very well. Um, and so I sort of I think there's a reason that there is stuff that you now see in a lot of films. You know, I think this gave license to stuff like, you know, yes, we'd have, um, you know, Iron Man come the year after, but like beyond Iron Man and stuff, like, I do think there's stuff that franchises have taken or has been made possible because of this film. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think, you know, Transformers is, is, is on that milestone path of, of making modern cinema. Um, I think so too, and for some good and ill, to be honest. Yes, I, I know mean, you agree. I, yeah, I for love... good and bad, like it's, it has some yeah. good influence, and it's also sort of it also given us some other stuff. But yeah, well, I mean, I think that's like a continuation of the Star Wars effect, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, Star Wars sort of helped invent the blockbuster, but also codified stupid movies as what the public wants to see. You know, with lots of explosions. If, if that codified it, this recodified it for the CGI two thousand. Era. Yes. Um, and while I'm glad that we got a lot of those movies, you know, um, you know, even if I don't like some of them, um, you know, I'm an 80s kid and it's good to see, you know, I, I'm always not mad that something exists. Right. Even mm. if I didn't like it. Um, yeah. I mean, Michael Bay was never <laughs> accused of being the most intelligent filmmaker and the sheer explodey explodey noisiness of this especially as he gets more of a budget and more license in, in the sequels gets worse and worse yeah um but you know i do have to say as much as i think this character this uh movie focuses too much on the human characters which was one criticism partly that's for budget those human characters work and they <laughs> work in this movie they don't really work in any of the sequels um but they really work here um, I mean, oh, I'd say any of the sequels except for Bumblebee, which goes mm. back to, you know, the girl in the car. Here is the boy in the car. Um, one thing that I came away from this film thinking at the time was how there was a whole genre in the 80s of a boy in his car movies of like license to drive and things like that. that really sold that. I mean, there was a magic to getting your first car. And I don't think that magic exists anymore. I don't think it. You know, I don't see that as the seminal moment in a young man's life um, or a young girl's life. Um, but this took me back to those movies and to a kind of very particular subgenre 
of 1980s movies that I enjoyed as a kid, way before I could possibly think about getting a driver's <laughs> license. Um, I understood the freedom of having a car. Yeah. And this sells that so amazingly well. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think one of the things that's, that's um, is that thing, that one of the reasons this film does work is because of the human cast. And I will, I will throw out that, like, you know, it, talking from a, if you're going to talk about it from a 2023 standpoint and you're telling me I'm going to have a film with um, Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> Megan Fox, um, Tyrese Gibson, you know, and a few others, you're a bit like, you know, John Voight. I'm like, wow. John Voight? Yeah, that you, that's not a good cast today. No, I'm like, okay, that's not you're not selling me on this cast, <laughs> really. Um, but when you go back and watch this, um, you know, it works. Like you're right, it's works. This is a you know much younger cast. Shia LaBeouf has a certain energy. Um, I think you know at one point even Spielberg described him as like you know this is he's like a young Tom Hanks. Like this is what hanks would have been like in the 80s when you're thinking like you know bachelor party the burbs those sorts of kind of things um and megan fox is actually pretty good in this. she's 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 you know incredibly attractive but she actually plays the part well you know she's a mm-hmm. sympathetic character and everyone comes across kind of well in this because it's toned down mm-hmm. i think it's because it feels toned down for the most part the characters kind of land when it gets off the rails and in, in certain places that's where i'm like oh. Okay, yeah, the energy is sort of like losing me a bit on this, and and they introduce, um, in particular, um, Anthony Anderson, um, the 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 guy who's the hacker who eats all the donuts, oh, and you know yeah. those. And there's a few characters like that. I like him in stuff. I've seen him in other stuff. He's you know he's he's actually funny. I find him quite good. But in this, he just feels out of place. Like he feels like a, a touch too far into the comedy, where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. you're sort of pulling me out of this now a little. Well, let's talk about these characters, uh, the human characters and the acting. Um, I agree with you. I had completely forgot this whole hacking group with this mm. other absurdly beautiful woman, you know, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I had completely forgotten those characters existed. Um, mm. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were part of this. I mean, I remember the military characters who, who are sort of the weakest part of every Transformers movie. Um and I always, even at the time, thought, make it G.I. Joe. Just make it, just call it G.I. Joe. It makes no difference, you know. And, of course, in retrospect, I'm sure they wanted to. This was yeah. actually made in lieu of a G.I. Joe film. Mm. They wanted to do a G.I. Joe film. And then the invasion of Iraq happened. And they're like, yeah, let's back off of that for a year or two, you know. Um, and Transformers seemed a safer bet. Uh, and you can see the, mil- I mean, th- it's been said many times that Michael Bay shoots military scenes as if it's pornography um yeah not by, yeah, but i'd say it's been said by michael bay <laughs> like michael <laughs> bay, he fully acknowledges it like you know if you've ever seen the film uh is it 13 days or or 13 mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. 13 yeah. hours of, i mean it's not a bad film it's actually a really solid sort of war action film but like in that like when I, I've, I've seen interviews with him like he is like no I think the military do a great job and I want mm-hmm. to sort of venerate them and show them as to how fantastic these guys are and the bravery, da, da, da. Like, he's all about the military. And one mm-hmm. thing I should say, just to throw in there, the US military has a contract with with a number of studios or they have it mm-hmm. in their contract. If you are going to depict any branch of the military, they get final say. It's just sort of like they will tell you to edit things yeah. out. And so they have approval. They have approval. I'm pretty it's sure really that... 
Yeah, oh, they, and they did. Yeah. This movie helped helped uh, establish that contract. Yeah, because they had the level of military involvement in this movie is absurd. I uh, mean, yeah. like they mounted cameras on F twenty two. You know, like they, it's completely mad how much uh, invo- military involvement is clearly there. Yeah, but I love the fact that like now when Michael Bay turns up to like do it, the military are like no, go for it. You do whatever you need to do, Michael, because we oh, know yeah. we're going to come out of this looking. Fantastic. Yeah, they probably got a spike of enrollment, you know, after Transformers <laughs> came out. Where it's like, you know, oh, I get to yeah. fight Scorpionock in the desert, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's true. And and I'm uncomfortable with that. I mean, that's mm. part of the, you know, the legacy of this film in, in a bay that, uh, that I'm uncomfortable with. And, you know, in addition, you know, obviously John Voigt, you know, was a yeah. Trump supporter and, you know. Uh, conspiracy theories yeah. yeah sure um okay but let's talk about the, the acting of the characters um uh, you know i i can go along with the josh duchamel you know uh in this he's fine he's a sort of place of every man's soldier um you know i think uh shia labeouf is not just competent here i think he is straight up great I think this is the performance of his career, and I think he plays this within an inch of his life. I think it is totally right on. Um, he makes me laugh. He makes me feel stuff. He is better than possibly any actor I've ever seen in this movie at playing the everyman who's like a fish out of water, mm. who's dealing with an alien fish. I mean, the look on his face as he turns, you know, to leave to carry that allspark is like... I mean, when I would pause the movie to go to the bathroom or get a drink or something, I'd come back and just be like, I can't believe this expression on Shia LaBeouf's face that it's dead to rights. And even with brilliant actors, you randomly pause a scene and you're like, yeah, that might, you know, uh, so-and-so, you know, uh, looks weird in that moment. Shia LaBeouf is just dead on. He plays that teenager, and that, again, it brings me back to being a kid and the love of the car and all of that. To have him want to be the, with that girl and be so awkward, and he, you know, you know, a key moment is when he's talking to his dad and trying to keep his dad from coming into the yard where all of the Autobots have inexplicably decided to, you know, <laughs> to wander in robot mode. And yeah. he's like, "No, I love you, Dad." And he says, "You know, uh, sleep tight." handsome man (laughs) but he's so awkward he manages to sell the comedy Mm. and you really feel his nervousness um well he has has he's been pegged as that character well i think the thing is he's been trying to fight out of that character for a long time because i think you're right i think beyond this he obviously had the second and the third film and then he did a couple of others like you know um around this time um and he he, he, but he do you're right in this he's, he's good like i actually you know I think he works well. I think he. I think it works well because he has really good chemistry with the two people that play his parents, Kevin Dunn and uh, I've got to find it now. Um, that's weird. I should have so far down. But yeah, the, the, the character, the actors who play his parents. That you know, there you go, Julie White. Um, he has good chemistry with them. I feel there's sort of there's just enough silly sort of almost American Pie sort of like family comedy <laughs> stuff to, to, that's not too far but it kind of works it's re- almost relatable in that sort of sitcom kind of way um and that always good um but you're right i think beyond this i think shia labeouf has forever been trying to sort of like distance himself from this by doing more and more crazy things and unfortunately 
you know, it's made him almost unusable in in, in modern cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the other thing I would say is that sort of about chemistry on this. I think chemi- like one of the things, and I would say before we do praise some of the acting, we do praise the acting. I do want to sort of say it's you know the good. I think they said about Megan Fox, as you said, Josh uh, Duhamel. I think all the guys in the military unit kind of work mostly. You know, they're sort of it, it's it, they're they're serviceable. Especially in the battle at the end, I, I I do like them. However, Megan Fox has since come out and sort of given some stories about mm-hmm. how she was treated on set uh, and this other stuff. And so I want to put it in that context of like, yeah, now I'm sort of seeing some of the camera angles, and this was one of her big breakout films, and she was encouraged mm-hmm. to do certain things, and you're a bit like, you know, yeah, this is definitely a boob film as well, but kind of needs to be because it is a sort of a this is this is uh, this sounds really sexist but it's a boy film this is very much a boy fantasy film this is a male fantasy film um yeah i don't think it needs to be right i mean i think mm. bumblebee proves it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. right uh but i think that there was a perception of that at the time yeah i mean you know i i looked at uh megan fox's comments um you know for this because I, I sort of wanted to refresh my memory about how bad it was. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, she part of it seems like part of why she wasn't on the third one is that she compared him, uh, him being Michael Bay to Hitler. Um, and yes. that yeah. Spielberg was not going to have that, <laughs> yeah. have, you know, <laughs> having done um, Schindler's List, you know. Um, and so, you know, I mean, and, and part of being young is that you, make irresponsible comments you know mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. when you're young to the press but so yeah i mean the other thing is apparently aspects of her character were cut that would have made her a stronger character that she tells she t- originally told off the football star um you know as she left and she you know he you know when um the movie makes a much bigger deal about her um having a juvie record and being a criminal uh then it really should then mm. i think it's logical and originally she you know basically uh told sam off about that um so it, it's clear i mean look this is michael bay's choices right i mean and i don't have a problem i want to be on record i don't have a problem with um attractive women i don't have a problem with, with you know uh the male gaze in movies, uh, you know, quote unquote, if you own it and say, yeah, of course, that's a part of the appeal of this, you know, um, and, and the same thing, you know, I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, the female gaze of the camera lingering on somebody's pecs, you know, mm. as they've uh, boned up to, to play the movie. Now, that doesn't happen here as much. But I mean, I, I'm not opposed to that cinematography. But it is of a piece with a movie that treats her as the prize to win. Um, and I like that she knows cars better than the boys, but she is seduced by muscles, right? Mm-hmm. She talks about having a problem. And she is clearly as competent as he is, but by the end, just as relegated to being his accessory. You know, like she drives well, Bumblebee in conflict. Yes. Yeah. Really imp- but at the end, he saves the world, not her. Right. Like it's still the camera loves him. The camera wants this to be his movie. I, I would say, though, that I think that's the thing is this is um, 
and I was thinking this whilst I was watching it, this has multiple plots and multiple characters, but it comes down to a single character. And that single character is supposed to be your point of view character. Like, if, if the perception was when they were making this film that this is a, uh, a boy-centric, a male fantasy film, then Shia LaBeouf is your way in. You know, like you were, that's your, that, that, the Sam Witwicky is supposed to be your sort of way into this film. And that, that you know, you, he does well in doing that. And so this is that male gaze, that male fancy. So by the end of it, like he has become, you know, he's worked with the army. He's become a, he's become the warrior. Uh, he got <laughs> the girl and he got the car. You know, mm-hmm. he's now part of uh, a wider group and things like that. Like, it's all part of like this. It's, it's almost like the hero's the journey. The American dream. <laughs> well, sort of. You yeah. Know, the Bay versus Michael. Yeah. yeah. American dream. And so I think that's the point. I would say though, like you said, the Megan Fox character, uh, Michaela, is interesting because she is. That is what's weird is we talked about these ups and downs. Mm-hmm. There are scenes when she's incredibly competent. Like she opens up the bonnet on the Camaro that is Bumblebee, and she's able to. Talk. She knows cars. More than that, later on, like she's eight, she stands up to um, the military and she sort of does stuff. And like you say, in the battle at the end, like she's the one that drives the truck with Bumblebee on the back into battle, like mm-hmm. in reverse yeah. as well. No, 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 you know, like I, know. I, 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 I sometimes you and I couldn't drive backwards down a city street nope. at thirty miles an hour, let alone sixty. <laughs> yeah. I cut, I sometimes struggle to reverse into a parking space. So, <laughs> like it, she, she shows her to be competent. You're right, but then, like you say, it sort of slightly keeps pulling the rug to be like, mm-hmm. oh, she can't be better than the boys. Mm-hmm. We need to keep sort of her, and it's it's kind of sort of like you know. Again, Which I understand because she she says that about you know guys don't like when you're better at cars than you. So she's called the movie on its bullshit. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> that's the thing. Like yeah. Michael Bay even calls himself on his own bullshit by giving her that line, and you're like, "Huh, all right, <laughs> fair enough." But she, she, she's actually a kind of she is a good character in this. Um, one thing we've been talking is because I do want to come back to some of the the the, the actors because they do have some interesting bits. The one thing I wanted to touch on before we get to some of the action is the humor in this. Well, well, first let me just say that yes, wrap up the Michaela thing. I agree with you. But I will say, you know, my theory of like all of the things that are problems in the late Transformer movies are sort of here in acorn form, right? Yes. You know, by the time you're in like Age of Extinction, you have a close up on an underage girl's butt, you know, for no reason whatsoever. And she's going up the stairs and she's a teenager, Mm. you know, she's underage. I mean, so is Michaela. But I mean, it, where it's like serves there's no point you can't even justify it it's like she's working under the hood on the car you know this is subtle by comparison oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know the and two... in all the future movies they won't have these lines about michaela being competent at cars yeah. and having to deal with the macho culture the two things i'll i'll, I'll highlight from uh the, the later films you make a good point yeah. i believe it's the third one where um sam is dating some uh, dating a blonde mm-hmm. model Mm-hmm. And there is excessive scenes of basically almost like upskirt shots of her legs. <laughs> right? And she walks yeah. around in underwear at one point. And you're like, oh, okay, mm. we, we, we are beyond giving these women any sort of story or anything. Like she's literally a device for the plot and nothing else other than the pair of legs. And then the other one is, and it's renowned now, is a character, I believe it's, if it's not Age of Extinction, no, it is Age of Extinction, the first mm. one with oh, Mark yeah. Wahlberg. This the character, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 
And yeah, her boyfriend. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but oh, yes, her, yes. Her, her boyfriend carries around in his wallet a card referring <laughs> to the Romeo and Juliet law, just to yeah. highlight that he is not committing statutory rape on uh-huh. Mark Wahlberg's daughter. That's not story, creepy at all. No. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that is the character I was talking about with this. Yeah, yeah. Like Mark Wahlberg's talking about, like I'm going to protect. She's my daughter, dude. And then you've got like a shot of her butt as she's walking up the stairs or something that's just of her butt it's not even like okay so you're wearing tight jeans that mm. cut off too high you know i don't think that's realistic it's just like okay forget it just zoom in on her butt get yeah. it closer oh yeah no so yeah I, this is a thing and you are right there, though it's there in this yes it's just toned down to the point where it gets a pass yes it is no i agree i you you can i think you can there's almost like a, a a teenage broness about this film that you just go. There's an adolescence to this film that you go, and I know this is not an excuse for things like you know. I know you know in this day and age you can't say boys will be boys, and that's you know gendered or whatever. But there's almost like a sort of like a bro kindness about this film that sort of you go, yeah, it's what it's there to do, but it gets worse. Um, yeah, that's sort you're of you're also wanna... right that Sam's in high school. And so, like, one of the most obvious things is when the famous shot of Megan Fox working under Bumblebee's hood, right? And where, But it's played for humor. It's got a little wink at the audience where he looks at her and he puts his head on the other side of the hood and just mm. kind of goes, oh, you know, yeah. sort of in the camera. And, you know, it's like, okay, I don't need that scene. It's a little potentially groany, but, you know, but I'm willing to go along with it because he's a teenage boy and it's kind of winking at the camera. Like, mm. Hey, I know we're doing a, a, a hot shot here. Okay. We know, I, we I'm know sorry. this is, we know this is cheesecake, but yeah, this is the point. Yeah, I agree. Talk about the humor though. Cause the humor like I said, is, is, is again, is that a acornness. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Bernie Mac in this. <laughs> and I, I actually kind of like the Bernie Mac scene where he's selling in the car. It's, it's, it's a bit heavy handed now, but He's funny, and I kind of like him. And I'm like, cool, I'm I'm down with that. That's funny. You've got Bernie Mac; he's a comedian. And then it starts to sort of keep going with things like you know, when they have like, and, and they they seem to give John Turturro sort of they're trying to make him some sort of like weird, sinister, funny character. Um, when he has like his they're called Section Seven, and he has his S Seven uh, vest on, and he gets weed, he gets peed on, or like lubricant sort of sprayed onto him by Bumblebee. And it just keeps going, and then you get like um, um, the little you'll notice, but the 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 one you're met at the, in the very beginning, the one that's on Air Force One that turns into a, um, a frenzy, yeah, frenzy, and then turns into I don't a think phone. He's named in the film, no, um, but like he, you know, you get humor with him bouncing around on different things, and he makes funny noises, and it's sort of a, the, uh, you keep getting that kind of humor, and again, there's like times where I'm just like. This humor's not working for me. And again, they they introduce Anthony Anderson. Is that whole thing where he sort of like you know, uh, if you eat the donuts, they show you're showing that you're not guilty because you know you're comfortable to eat the donuts. And the moment they walk in, he's like, "She did it! She did it!" And I'm just like, "Oh, okay." You're still going with the humor, and it just I don't know. So the, 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 for some reason, like Michael Bay can't do. It's too heavy handed. It just doesn't. The, the comedy in this doesn't work for me. On on. It keeps missing. I think that's a problem. That's one of the problems. But it gets worse throughout the sequels. Just... But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that element? Yeah, I don't think the comedy misses as much for me. I mean, mm. but but I would say 
and and I don't think it misses a hundred percent in the sequence. Mm. But I will say, when it misses, it misses by bigger and bigger margins, right? <laughs> like it's, yeah. like, I mean, and it, and it just goes on. Like I would say, like all the comedy here, I'd say probably a lot of it misses. Probably most of it misses. But I know what they were doing, right? Like mm. I know what they were going for. Um, as it goes on in the sequels, more and more, you kind of just hold your head and go, like, "What were you thinking with this shot?" Yeah. So, like I mean, Transformers, do you mean like Transformer testicles uh, later on, and, and those sorts oh, of things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so so I would kind of classify two main problems there, and and I'm okay. I don't think it's funny, but I think the Sector Seven, you know, uh, S Seven Superman symbol. You know, like, I know what you're going for there. I think that actually communicates about his character. Mm-hmm. I don't laugh, you know. Uh, but, you know, the I think Shia LaBeouf is the only one who can kind of pull off comedy in, in this movie at all. Um, but um, but I will say that the two kernels there that bother me are uh, potty humor generally and racism. Yes. So, you know, so the potty humor is you know you sort of forget it it's sort of pardonable but you mentioned already bumblebee peeing on john deterra yeah. <laughs> and this is bumblebee such a beloved character right? like you've got bumblebee straight up urinating on john deterra as punishment yeah bouncing him in europe like, like you know and it's done as a joke and it's over fast enough that you can kind of pardon it but then but it, and it's also know, a learning thing because obviously the dog weed on I and right. I think so. You, yeah, you've okay. seen it as a bit of a it's it's, it's a pay, almost like a payoff, but like yeah. Okay, so what what I would say is I was going to mention that with the the churro, uh, the uh, ch- uh, the chihuahua, chihuahua, merci, uh, urinating, yeah, on iron eyes. So there are two urine jokes. Okay, that is way too many for any Transformers <laughs> movie. Okay, like tone down the urine jokes, and and this is the beginning of the potty humor. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it will just continue. And it's so like you were saying, there's a kind of like adolescent male energy to this that is absolutely Michael Bay. And that mm-hmm. energy continues and gets ramped up as opposed to maturing. Right. Yes. Um, and that is a big problem. I mean, so for me, I'm willing. I think you get one Transformers urine joke per episode or movie. You cannot have two. And so the fact that there are two actually really upsets me. And the fact that Bumblebee <laughs> is urinating on somebody, well, it is upsetting. I... I agree. But what what I find, that I mean, that's the thing. One of the things I want to say about John Turturro, because I really like John Turturro. I think he's, he's a great actor. And I've, I've seen him in a number of things where he he is funny and I've, he's very good. Um, but he can also play sinister. Like I've seen him play kind of sinister and stuff. But in this, one of the things is Sector Seven is is supposed to be played as this above top secret um, organization. It's above the government. It's got all this sort of you know whatever. It's been around for for centuries, uh, well decades at least. Blah 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 blah. All right, you meet several representatives of <laughs> Sector Seven. Right, you have the actor. Uh, Michael O'Neill, who plays Tom Banachek, who is the guy that sort of turns up with the briefcase and sort of says, you know, Mr. Secretary, you want to see what's in here? He's a very serious dude. He's like, I've come from direct from the president. Like, he's playing it quite serious. He's six at Sector 7. 
And then you have like John Totoro, whose character sort of just is is like I don't know comic relief. Like, yeah. how does anybody take orders from this guy and take him serious? The, he, and he says a line at one point, which has always bothered uh-huh. me, uh-huh. where he says about when you know he reveals Michaela's um, uh-huh. um, criminal record, and he just <laughs> and he, he, sort of, and he just goes, "Criminals are hot," and you're just like, "I'm sorry, yeah. pardon, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. Are you are you coming on to this?" 16 year old girl like it, it, oh it's, yes it's really yeah, creepy this is what, that is yeah. what so i would say john totoro is i agree with you like i grew up with john totoro like mm. I, you know I, miller's crossing i watched when it came out you yeah. know like i always loved john totoro and so going into this movie i always thought well, well at least i hope john totoro has a, an amazing role and gets every acting gig after this and then he is the most disappointing actor yeah. in this movie. Like, how is that humanly possible? He, but but right, you, he, you know, you say about Acorns, so you know you say Acorns, because his yeah. character comes back repeatedly oh, yeah. and gets worse and, and it's worse. no better. Yeah. Right. Well, so, I mean, and this is part of a bigger problem, which is too much comic relief and too yeah. many comic relief characters. So you're right, oh, totally about John Turturro. There's also you know, that guy who has the briefcase who shows up, he also says, like, um, I think it's he who makes that crack about, you know, my my crazy government paycheck, which is, like, yes. another kind of groan-worthy line. Like, that's not the case, you know? Uh, but also, <laughs> like, those soldiers and the, you know, um, the Department of Defense, they earn their paychecks. Mm. But, you know, these guys are, you know, the namby-pamby bureaucracy we don't like. And this is like this kind of dumb conservative thing of like, you know, the government is bloated and stupid. But at the same time, we like our military, which is the biggest overbloated and stupid part of the government. Yeah. But nobody wants to admit it. it the, um, the wording is actually his obscene uh, yes. government paycheck. So yeah, there's a lot of obscene yeah. things in this movie. Yeah. That's not one of them. Yeah. But. No, so so I lo- I knew exactly what line you're talking about, and you know where Totoro, uh, he's revealing her, and he says she's a criminal. Criminals are hot. Yeah, <laughs> like he sneers it, like, yeah. and he sneers it in this close up of the camera. That's like, it's like you know, now he's not turning it up to eleven; he's turning it up to like twenty two. Yeah, and it's utterly absurd. And it's not okay. So first of all, it's about a teenage girl who is in handcuffs in his car under his protection, mm. right? All kinds of inappropriate. Also, he's a government agent who's, who is saying you can't trust her that she's because she's a criminal. At the same time, I lust after criminals. Being a criminal is so fun and attractive. This is like an anti-smoking campaigner <laughs> saying, yeah, but the problem is the cigarettes look so damn sexy, don't they? Yeah, yeah it is. It's like using Mad Men as an advertisement <laughs> against anti-smoking. You're like, no, no, look, John Hamlock's amazing. <laughs> One of the things is, though, like you say, with the Totoro character, and this is where I think the film starts you know with the issues later on in the film when they go to Hoover Dam and they yeah. have you know they reveal Megatron and all this other stuff and you get uh Josh uh Duham um Duhamel doing his thing and they all come out and they all fight at a local town which I don't know where it's supposed to be but Lennox and the soldiers all look cool at no point does Totoro's character 
um, Agent Simmons take part in that battle. That is very strange, yeah. And he should be. This should be the point mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, he is a complete buffoon, but actually he needs to be shown as competent in that battle. Because that would then... He needs to do something, and he doesn't. And it's really bizarre that he sort of falls out mm. the film for the last for the finale. Um, and it really sort of well, stood out to me this time. Talking about acorns, this is like, you know, okay, too many comic relief characters, right? Mm-hmm. You've got like, you know, also... You know, it should be pointed out, there are two black actors in this movie. They're both comic relief characters. Yes. Right? I mean... Oh, no, there okay. are three. There are three, and you're still talking comic relief because there is uh, Bernie Mac, uh, Tyrese Gibson, and Anthony Anderson. And yeah. all yeah, are yeah. used as comic relief. So, yes. Uh, and there is... But, you know, to be fair, there is also an extra uh, African-American character who is the Transformer, Jazz, mm. who refers to people as bitches and you know, speaks in the <laughs> worst shot possible and then manages to be the only Autobot who gets killed. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, this is a movie about alien robots and you still manage to kill the black guy. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, how racist are you? And these were things that bothered me in the movie theater the first time I watched this. Like, this is not... I just want to point yeah, out this is not like some revisionist no. wokeness. No, 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 no. What one of the things that made me like I was I was I wanted because we haven't one of the things we're 40 minutes in and we haven't even talked about the the actual transformers yet. We will yeah. get to them. But when they're introduced and they have that sort of like round table of them introducing themselves and they all do something cool to look like they're cool. Jazz's break dancing and stuff. <laughs> That's a thing that black people do in 2007. I was, yeah, I was, um, I was quite taken aback with how much that stands out as Mm -hmm. being such a choice. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, you sort of said, like, you know, you said, like, some of the choices. I was like, yeah, there was a choice made there. Mm -hmm. They made, they made a choice. Um, because he doesn't, and it's also what I would say is about his death as well. We'll get to end, like, Jazz doesn't even really get like a heroic death. Like he gets basically, yeah. he gets torn in half. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get why you need to kill an Autobot, right? And you yeah, need yeah, to yeah. establish Megatron is here now and he's deadly and he's going to kill somebody. You need to do that. That's smart writing. But then he just tears Jazz in half. Jazz doesn't even get to, like, look, this is a franchise where nobody dies without getting like a 10 minute last word goodbye Mm -hmm. right jazz doesn't get anything he's just torn in half and then at the very end optimus prime is like we've lost jazz and that and that sentence just continues like but we've made new friends can i I just say how how much worse though that scene is for anyone that hasn't seen it because not only yeah so that final scene when the battle is over and they do Mm -hmm. mourn jazz for all of 30 seconds don't forget Optimus is holding the remains of Jazz. Yes. Like, yes, and he's like, I know. he's like, oh, well, we have, we lost a great warrior, an old friend, but we've made other friends and we can move on. Yeah. Like, he might as well just chuck him over his shoulder and <laughs> walk yeah. away. Yeah, no, I, and I'm creeped out by that too. Yeah. And then I find myself thinking, like, well, they're aliens. Maybe they have a different attitude for a corpse, right? Because they yeah. recycle or, you know. But I, yes, I know it is uncomfortable. Yeah. And it is racially uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I mean, and these are choices. And again, you know, it's the kind of thing where, like, watching this the first time through, 
I thought, okay, you want to have, you don't want all the Autobots to sound white, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I'm glad you made that choice, right? But is your idea that all black people sound like jazz in this movie and breakdance? Like, you know, and, and clearly you went stereotypical with that, right? And there's no logical explanation. And that's the kind of thing where I saw this and said, okay, I like this movie. I really admire this movie, actually. But it has problems like that that I hope will be fixed as the in the sequel and as the series goes on. Mm. And instead, all of those problems just multiply and get way bigger. <laughs> and, you know, everybody is a is a racial caricature. Uh, the, the racial issues in this franchise are shocking. And, yes. Uh, and they just get worse and worse. Oh, yeah. Um, it's another acorn. It's another little acorn, mm-hmm. an acorn of racism that's going to grow into a, a big tree of, oh, that's what they decided to do. Uh, as yes. films go on, um, and not just of any of almost every uh, ethnic uh, ethnicity, like yeah. there, there is sort of Asian characters, there's black characters, there's oh. you know it, it gets bizarre. Um, yeah, and I, it gets worse even with the human characters. Yes, I mean I, I think when we next see John Turturro, he's running a deli. Yes, you know because that's what Jews do. <laughs> because yeah. that's true. Like, so... He's trained to be like he's run an, an agency of the government with. Processing secrets. The moment he's not employed, he's going to do one of two things. He's going to be a banker or run a deli. It's like the Donald Trump version of race, right? Yeah. Like, well, it's funny. You know, what I find interesting is like, you know, and I will criticize, I will and openly criticize sort of Michael Bay and some of the writers for, for doing this. However, mm-hmm. at no point, like John Turturro could have easily gone, could, could I be doing something else? <laughs> like anything, well, I don't mind owning a shop, but like, can we not have it as like something else? Like, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, another problem you mentioned this issue of the of him disappearing in the final act, mm. and this is another acorn is the sort of like the bad structure of Michael Bay movies and of these Transformers movies that there. You know, I forgot. Um, you know, not only do you have multiple human, you have three different groups of humans not all of whom you really need you Mm -hmm. don't really need these tech people um the military can figure it out on their own they don't you know and it's just another human group another you know uh comic black comic relief character um but you know don't forget uh sam has a best friend i forgot sam has a friend (laughs) sam has a best friend yeah he leaves who he takes to meet michaela and then he ditches him to uh you know to pick up Michaela and give her a ride home. At no point is the friend ever seen again in this movie or any of the sequels. Yeah. As far as we know, he dies of exposure having been <laughs> left where he That's was. That's it. Well the, he was left behind. He was beaten to a pulp <laughs> by those by those jocks. Um uh-huh. and then like you say died of exposure on the side of the road overnight. Um, that's a very different yeah. film. That's a <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the uh, the end credit sequence that didn't make it in. <laughs> yeah. It's just his body lying there, going Sam. Um, what? Yeah, it's just but there are there are as the sequels go on, there are yes. these structural things where it's like, what happened to that character? I don't know. He just disappeared from the movie. Like literally, this is writing one hundred and one. 
but they do this for things like characters that come and go. These weird characters, because and we, you know, we maybe we will do these one day, but oh yeah, we'll get no, through. I'm gonna make you <laughs> yeah. because the only other character that always springs to mind as an actor. There are what what this this series seems to do is take actors that have incredible careers and are known for doing fantastic work, and then putting them in a role where you're like, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I would now look at John Malkovich and Anthony Hopkins and be like, what the hell? What happened to you? Who did you owe money to that you ended up doing these? Well, you know, first of all, let's be clear. They're whores. Okay. You know, I mean, now look, I am too. You give me $5 million. You know, we were talking about this beforehand. (laughs) Like, you know. I will act in whatever you want me to act in. Yeah, right? I have, I have, I had, you know, I had higher <laughs> expectations of like John Malkovich. But no. yes, yeah. Well, um, the other thing is, reportedly, it is just so much fun to be on set. Oh, I can right imagine. Away. Yeah, I you can know, imagine these are great like, fun. And and also, like you know, he he gets in the mud. He's he's fun as a director. You know, people say it's like a nonstop party. Mm. You know. Uh, and obviously, Megan Fox had a different experience. Yeah, she was the way, but she was the one that was being sprayed with beer and stuff at the party. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's, true. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, so it's different, especially for some of these guys who went into acting because they were nerdy or mm. they were, you know. And it does occur to me if Michael Bay has an analog in this movie, it's the jock who <laughs> gets left Michaela, behind. Michaela, yeah, who yeah. gets left behind. But even Sam is kind of presented as like a jock's idea of what this character would be, right? He's yeah. still kind of a dumb all-American kind of boy. Yeah. Um, and Michael Bay doesn't really know, you know, you know, smart guy, nerd culture. No. Um, One of the you would see say... an actor being like, yeah, I mean, oh. I grew up, I was, you know, and now I get to be a, the jock is running the party and I'm invited to the cool show. Well, basically, that, that was actually what Anthony Hopkins said, I think, was because, you know, mm. and last night is easily the worst of these, but... Um, uh, oh, no, no, no. I think Age of Extinction is... is oh, okay. Be interesting when we get to those. But Anthony Hopkins is on the record of saying, like, he was... Like, he does all these sort of, like, period pieces, he does all these very serious mm-hmm. films, and this was his opportunity to do something silly, insane, and so I can completely understand that. Um, because we have got to get to... I really want to get to the... We haven't got to the Transformers <laughs> Because the other thing I want to talk about is to say, you know, talk about the Michael Bayisms of this. Um, is the editing in some scenes is almost unwatchable. Like it's 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 almost epilepsy inducing some of the sort of the editing, mm. but also some of the he has that thing for the sort of like the spinning upshot mm. that he uses. And you know, he perfected in sort of like Bad Boys and Bad Boys Two, uh, and that, and he uses it sort of relatively sparingly at times. But he he gives it to some he gives it to odd people. So Bernie Mac in a comedy shop when sort of Bumblebee fires out like a sound thing to sort of shatter all the windows in the car lot. Bernie Mac then gets this confused look and he gets the spinning hero shot. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> that's an odd choice to give it to this character at this point in the film. All right, fair enough. Yeah, this is a this is a very good point actually because I I think that those Bayisms are and even that editing. I mean, again, let's be clear, the same thing's true of, you know, uh, Batman Begins, you know, and mm. every Chris Nolan fight scene. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, there are those moments where you it's sort of tone deaf cinematically, yeah. where you yeah. think, why are you giving this to Bernie Mac? And again, um, I, I think it kind of masks the fact that 
that is a totally illogical scene. Hmm. Why would Bumblebee shatter the windows of all of the cars? And then secondly, why would having induced massive losses in the repairs yeah. greater than all of the money you're going to get, why would you then sell the car for less? How is that your response? I, I don't understand anything about that scene. No. But it still kind of sells itself in a weird way. Like well, it still kind of works. It, it works in that same 80s way. And this, this is an 80s film in, in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there are there are you know the scenes like that are reminiscent and it works because of the charisma and the comedy of Bernie Mac and I think of Shia LaBeouf's reaction and even um the dad you know the, mm-hmm. the, the three of them sort of bounce off each other Kevin Dunn plays it kind of well and I like it so it doesn't make sense you're right but it's to say the editing throughout this has that where they sort of like, you'll give certain people certain shots and you're just like it's you go okay I get or sometimes it's like I understand why you've given it to that character just not in this scene. Like, why is that? <laughs> why are you sort of giving like you know, a, like uh, there's a scene of John Voight when they're they're trapped in the, the the bunker and stuff, and there's a fight going on, and he gets a similar shot where it sort of pan, pans round mm-hmm. him in this big thing, and you're like, there's supposed to be fighting going on, and you've literally just slowed the pace down to give this one mm-hmm. like panning shot. I don't understand what is going. Like, who in editing has gone? That's a good idea, Michael. Yes, we'll do that. Because it really like keeps the pace going, like it's it's bizarre at times. Yeah, and and I think also Michael Bay is he's really bad at communicating senses of place or even giving like those indicators that a scene is done, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like in, in that whole sequence is where they're fighting frenzy um, as he's invading, and this little guy is a big menace, and then frenzy just kind of knocks his own head off with like a, a boomerang throwing star and it's kind of like oh but he's knocked his own head off before and come back like there's no indication that he's really dead and it's just dropped yeah you know <laughs> we don't need to come back to that but there's no like they don't stand over him and smash him or something you know or you know say like well i'm glad that's over or or even anything that would let you know okay the scene is over i know what the takeaway from the scene is there's yeah. a weird way in which those shots are part of, for all of his obvious technical skill, he seems to have difficulty in communicating, like, you know, to me, what's the takeaway? No, I think, I think, I often right? think, I often think this comes down to Michael Bay starting as a music video mm. director, in that I think there's a lot of that, a lot of the transitioning you get from scene to scene, especially towards the end of his films. Is is very much like that music video. It's like, you know, all right, we're going in for the riff. The riff's finished. Move on. Do this. Do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get. And I think that's sometimes with the scenes where it's like big fight, down to down. Now we've stopped. Now we move, down to down. And it's just sort of like you hit with so much stuff that it's not until you sort of stop and you go through it scene by scene that you sort of go, what happened? What happened to that person? Sorry, did mm-hmm. they win that fight? I'm really sorry. I'm really confused about that. Like, what happened there? And it, you know, you it, 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 what's funny is I was comparing the this end battle, and I was thinking about Man of Steel in the same way, and going like, mm-hmm. oh, there's lot, mm-hmm. there's lots of destruction, and there's other things, you know. And do the heroes help those that are you know that are in danger? Yes, they do. And there's also other stuff going on. But I was like, why is it then that actually um, the Zack Snyder Man of Steel one bothers me, and actually I get to a point where I'm like, ugh, I'm bored of watching this. Where mm-hmm. actually with this, it actually probably makes less sense. <laughs> but I'm kind of in the moment. And that sort of was like, ah, 
the editing, although it's fast paced and it's probably given me an aneurysm in some way, it pulls you in to such an extent that you're not questioning stuff. Where I'm just sort of like, I'm in it for the ride. This is a big cartoon. It's like a music video. I'm being hit with them, you know, with those sort of like big guitar riffs and the big beats. And I'm just in it and I'm going on the ride. And he's very, very good at bringing you along that ride. And it's not until you get to the end that you go, wow, that was an amazing roller coaster. But I don't really know what happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And there were a lot of, I mean, look, (laughs) he made a movie called The Last Night in which I have heard podcasters (laughs) debate who is the last night (laughs) i don't know what the title means like you know i mean he made it there's a movie called the dark the darks of the the dark of the moon yeah which apparently refers to the dark side of the moon which is a thing that doesn't exist i mean like (laughs) you know but i i know what you're talking about and i thought of man of steel too and i think that this you know man first of all man of steel goes way Way longer. longer yeah Especially, and, and it's only two people. Here, part of why Bay is able to get away with some of this is because he's selling a, such a sense of chaos in the middle of a conflict. Mm-hmm. And that really works with war movies, right? Yes. I mean, yes. War movies are like that. Um, and war is like that. And so when you have multiple Transformers fighting in a cityscape, it should feel chaotic. And you should have trouble keeping track of where everybody is. When you have yeah. two guys fighting, that's very different. But I thought of Starscream, uh, uh, you know, crashing through the building and thought, mm. oh, that's Man of Steel six years earlier. Um, and I, yeah, I think well, I like it better here. It, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, why is it work here, but it doesn't work somewhere else? Because the other film, actually, I wanted to just double check. I mean, it's actually a really well, stark actually, film. But the, the other film that brought, this brought to mind when I was watching the ending is uh, Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. Which and that's a Ridley Scott film, but you know the 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 that carries along on a very similar sense of chaos and panic. Where, but that's done because you're not supposed to feel and know what is going right. on because you're supposed to be sort of pulled into it as as one of the soldiers that was there, and that's why I think it does work. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's funny that you say that because I do think you're right. I think having those different sort of different levels of of action and, and that chaos actually works really well for the finale of this film and i really enjoy it actually in that sort of as a war movie um it feels like a battle it feels like a running urban battle and i like the fact that everyone gets something to do and you do get big heroic moments of like bumblebee and being driven backwards down the street and saving people and, and devastator coming in and, and sort of blasting the crap out of things like it all works really well for me i think um Let's talk. Yeah. Should we talk about the Transformers quickly in a minute? Sorry, make your point. And then we'll, yeah, please. well, I, I just want to say to correct the record, it, it is actually Megatron in Shipman plane mode that's crashing through the building. With yeah. Uh, but it works great. And I think, you know, even to th- think about later films, you know, Bay is so good at the sense of chaos mm. and so good at that music video, just kind of like. And there are moments where, especially in later films, you think, I don't know how we got here i don't know what anyone's <laughs> objective is anymore like yeah. i'm totally confused about any of that but i'm sold on the chaos of this action set piece like i mm. really feel a sense of stakes even though i don't know literally what the stakes are <laughs> yeah but he's like directed this within an inch of its life 
Um, it's it's that thing, he, though, isn't it? Of like so good and so bad at the same time. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a bit like getting hyped up on candy and sugar, and you're all like, "Oh, I'm buzzing," <laughs> and you're like, "Someone telling you it's a bit like you know, this is really important." And like, okay, is it okay? I'm really hyped. I don't know what's going on, but I'm in it. I'm, I'm you know, like a paintball or something like that, where all of a sudden, like you are in it, and at the end of it, you sort of look back and you go, "I have no idea." Why I was mm. so hyped, or like you know, mm-hmm. or the the, the sugar <laughs> rush ends, and you just like, oh man, yeah, that was not as big as I thought it, was <laughs> it should be, but it does in that moment. It it kind of works. Um, let's talk about the Transformers. Though. I actually want to talk about the Autobots and the Decepticons in this film because we haven't. So we do get them. We've talked. We've mentioned Jazz, and um, we we obviously get Bumblebee. We've sort of mentioned Bumblebee. We get Optimus Prime, Ironhide, and who else is there? Ratchet. Ratchet. Um, and on the other side, you have Megatron, Starscream, um, Devastator. So, um, so just I have to say, Devastator is officially Brawl. Right. That yes. Is, so Devastator is in the second movie. This is that is acknowledged to be an error in the subtitles. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know for the life of me why they haven't corrected it because it's like Cybertronian script. You could just go back in. But yeah, the the M one A one Abrams is uh is uh, brawl. Mm. Yeah, and then Bone Crusher, mm-hmm. uh, who's awesome. Uh, Barricade, who's the cop car. Love car. that. I love you know absolutely. It's it's like to serve and it's the enslave. Yeah. Uh, to punish and enslave. You know the underside of cops, which again is like not something you'd expect from michael bay um oh no no he didn't mean that as satire. he he did oh, not know. mean that. yeah that's not satire. i know <laughs> he oh yeah know. no it's not it's not that clever <laughs> but you know barricade right barricade yeah. works um yeah um oh and then of course blackout who's the first mm. transformer we see i want to talk yeah let's talk about that so i mean i think the movie kind of starts weak it starts mm. with you know um you know the uh, the military and sort of you know on a base and you're like why am I watching this? It's very generic. It's very uninteresting. And then you get Blackout's attack in Qatar, um, and I think it is a set piece. I think it is staggeringly good. Mm-hmm. Um, you get some of the, the you know I mean the transformations in the Bay movies are overcomplicated. Yeah, they're a bit overcomplicated. Yeah, and- so, I mean, I have very mixed views because I'm a G1 guy, right? Mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. I like the blocky stuff, but I know why they thought that wasn't going to work on camera. And they went with this Bayverse kind of aesthetic, which I never really liked, but I like certain characters. Mm. Um, so the transformation is kind of, you know, none of those transformations really make sense. I mean, they're not running the, you know, the CAD files don't really turn one thing into the other thing. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of moving polygons, which annoys me. But it is, again, we were talking about the sense of war. You really feel, and again, like this is the Superman 78 thing, right? This is Jurassic Park. The primary goal for this is to feel Transformers are real. And mm. right from that first scene, you get Transformers are real, and one Decepticon is a real threat. Devastates yes. a base effectively and brilliantly. And I think it's fascinatingly uh good uh, yeah I, I agree i think it's such a well done setup um and beautifully shot i mean i was watching this uh on the 4k and it it's just fantastic 
but like you know, you get like yeah, the, the blackout comes in. It's the sunset as he's flying in, and they sort of they recognize it. And then from that moment of transformation, um, and him just attacking the base. One of the things I kind of love about it though is the fact that and this is going to be hard to. This is a word we will not use often with Michael Bay. They kind of hold back on some things as well though, because you never fully see Blackout as his transformed as the robot. You know, you see it from a distance, then you see extreme close-ups and you sort of like, you're constantly sort of kept, you see enough to give you scale. Like you know how big this thing is and you get its power, but you never really get stuff. Cause then you get the photograph is the point, isn't it? That Tyrese Gibson's character sort of gets this photograph of it. Um, and it, you, you are kept in enough to be like, yeah, what the hell? If you didn't know any of the Gen 1 stuff, if you just came into this, you'd be like, what the hell is that? Like, this is, you know, incredible. But it works as a set piece. Like, you, that idea of it starts with chaotic war and it ends with chaotic war because you do get that thing of like, they are taken by surprise and they don't know how to react to it. Um, and it just devastates that base. And it's, it's a really, really solid opener um, for a film. I really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I. I... I agree, and I, you know, and I do. I love, uh, uh, I love Blackout. I love that character. Mm. Uh, you know, I I love the look of that paved low, um, and that sense of like when it begins to transform, and you know, you're watching this for the first time. This is the first transformation on screen, and you see that rotor come up, and you <sighs> see the yeah. hologram, right? and it's just like, I mean, my heart skips, uh, and and I still feel that magic in that scene and that's saying a lot yeah no it, it works it's such a i think the thing is they realize that they know that i mean this is one of those things we've said about the, the feel of spielberg and i do feel it like in certain certain moments this is one of those moments where i feel that like spielberg lent on the shoulder of michael bay and was a bit like hold back don't blow your load all at the beginning <laughs> let's do it this way and it works because of that. And that, like you say, that transformation at the beginning, because you don't see it all, you just sort of see it, and then it peels away because everyone's running and screaming, and then that's it, and it's off to the races. Um, But I think that about all the transformations, I, I get like a feel of it becomes a bit... The, the transformations in and of themselves are interesting um, because I then get a similar feel when you first see Bumblebee. As in, so you've had Devas, you know, sorry, you've had um, Blackout, and then you're going to get Bumblebee, and he obviously, you know, you've had the um, the whole thing with with Barricade, which is so right. you only really see villains. You only see the the the, the first two Transformers you get are yeah, it's Blackout and Barricade, isn't it? I think we see Bar we see Bumblebee standing up. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that's the second we, but we see him from a distance, mm. and Sam's like, my car just stood up, right? Oh, yeah, I don't think he's yeah. seen Barricade in robot mode yet. No. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he sees him, because then he's like, then then Bumblebee's chasing him down, and you get the whole thing on the <laughs> bike, don't you? Yeah. yeah. And that's where he comes across. He sees a police car and says, like, my car is chasing me down. Mm -hmm. And then he obviously becomes Barricade, and, and that whole, f and that's where I was like, that whole, because that's when you get the first fight scene between an Autobot and a Decepticon. Yeah. And again... I want this. I want to point out the good and the bad. I think again, I love that scene. I think it works really well. I think the car chase that it results in is is great. Um, it mostly works. It acorns, right? Acorns, as we've talked about, 
it gets a little bit choppy as throughout this. It's like which robot's fighting which other robot and which part of which robot is which. Yes, this is totally fair, right? And so, again, sort of thinking of acorns, right? Like, Frenzy isn't named. Mm-hmm. Thrall is given the wrong name. <laughs> there are three different Decepticons who never speak. And it's not because, like Bumblebee, he's lost the ability until he magically has it at the end. Mm. Uh, and then has lost it again for all of the sequels. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. But, I mean, it's not because of that. It's just because Bay can't be bothered, you know? And so there are multiple characters in these sequels who are never named, never have a line of dialogue. You don't know what ends up happening to them. Like they're one of the Transformers in the movie. What are you? What's going on here? Yeah. And you don't even know who's who in in one scene. And there are debates about some of this stuff to this day in Transformers bulletin boards and stuff. Well, I, I would say there's something I, I I listened to another podcast called uh, Now Playing, and they did the Transformers thing, and they came up with a term for when they watch Michael Bay films called Bayziness, mm. which is basically sort of like it's just laziness. Like he got, like you say, he's gone, I can't be bothered to do that. Like that character, I want to, I want to see that character because it's cool. Right. But I don't, I don't need to expand upon that character. And so you sort of have to go, it's Bayziness and it's fine. It, you, you either like it or you don't. <clears throat> and I find there's a bit, quite a bit of that and it grows throughout the franchise. Um, but there's less of it here, but you're right. There is a, a series of sort of like characters that come and go. Like, I don't even know like what happens to Barricade, you know. Um, yeah. In yeah. Of... I mean, Barricade survives. He's in, he's in later movies. You know? yes, and, but so... you never see him. He's no. not really in the final battle there. You no. see him rolling near Hoover Dam. Then that's the last time you see him. Right? <laughs> yeah. <'cause, laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole bit where, like, they say, because they start calling on them, don't they? And they sort of they all respond. And that's where Devastator's mm-hmm. brawl is called Devastator and stuff. So they all respond. Right. Do they all get there? <laughs> I don't know because there's they're the roll definitely... calls. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they're not in that final battle. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> let's talk about the, you know, sort of like wrap up the sort of first half of the movie. Um, mm. You know, and it occurs to me that we're talking about like Bay's structure that this follows such a conventional structure compared to the other movies. The sequels, you know, yeah. And it really has Sam going on a, a classic hero's journey. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. the, you know, initiate, there's the invitation to the call and he rejects it. I mean, this is really classic stuff. Mm. Um, the whole thing, the magic of him and, and Bumblebee, you know, uh, works for me. The whole, I love the Bernie Mac, you know, cars choose the driver. I love that the first song Bumblebee plays is Who's Gonna Drive You Home by the yeah. Cars, you know, which is a great song. But also 80s, also, you know, um, works for the magic of Sam and Michaela. Um, something I will dig it for, we talked about Michaela and how she's treated. Michaela arrives to the barricade Bumblebee fight on a mechanical scooter. <laughs> and, Sam's, and Sam's response when she's not directly being threatened at all is what he should do is run over, jump on the back of the scooter and say, get us out of here. But that would give a woman agency. And so what he does is instead runs over and tackles her to the ground. I was going to say, he basically clotheslines her off it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and acts like he's just rescued her and then flees on foot with her from certain death. (laughs) This is exactly, again, competent woman has arrived, been clotheslined by a man who then expects to be thanked for it (laughs) and put her in deadly jeopardy. This is kind of the problem with gender, you know, from the beginning. Um, 
Yeah. But then <laughs> an hour in, you have like the Autobots arriving. Uh, yeah. And I, and I Love will that say scene. that. Yeah. yeah, with the with the uh, protoforms flying in. Love that. I think the music. One thing I want to say is actually the score to this film as well. I want to throw out that the score to this film. I love the score to this film. I've got. I've actually got it. I think it's it's perfect. Uh, not perfect, probably, but it's really strong. And that scene of the Autobots arriving is really really good. The protoforms. I love this idea that they are just as they're transformating mm. um, mechanical, well, mechanically biological, whatever it is entity that can change their form and they are pods. Like they don't need a ship to travel through space mm-hmm. or whatever, however they've got there. Forget the sequels that later give them massive yeah. ships and everything else. Um, right. But they have that thing. And I like the fact you see them in that protoform. And again, I kind of like guessing, you, you know, you get to see them all choose their uh, form. Like, you know, jazz goes to the Cadillac sharp and uh, mm-hmm. ratchet comes out of the, um, uh, as a, as the, um, ambulance. ambulance and he's coming you know after the sort of the, the first the responders hummer. yeah <clears throat> and there's paid. there's so much product placement in this oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but one of the ones that i find funny because they try to show an element of sort of um you know the robots in disguise and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then they show basically optimus prime stood on the side of a road <laughs> watching a truck yeah. and then transform and i'm like you haven't done great, but it still works for me. That whole scene works for me, and I think you—you you know that magic you said um, mm-hmm. about. I, I think there's a, there's just a magic to that scene of seeing those characters becoming those, those robots becoming those vehicles, and again the whole thing of like Bumblebee being the old Camaro and then transforming to change mm-hmm. to become the new Camaro. The concept Camaro, yeah, because it's all cool. Like it all really works for me. So you know, I'm like, oh great, these characters look good. The music's good. I kind of there's a there's a one of them's gone through like a garage or something, and there's mm-hmm. a funny. It's it, it's a silly line, but it makes me it makes me chuckle. Is when a guy's running past and he's sort of been filming it. He's like, "It's a hundred times better than Armageddon." I swear to God. Oh yeah. And I was yeah, like, I kind of cringed at that line. But, yeah. You know where I always thought it was Armageddon, not capitalized, and then I'm like, "Oh no, that's a Michael Bay inside joke." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's funny." No, I kind of like that. That made me chuckle. Um. And so when they all turn up and that, and you you know, mm. I I do like it, and then it gets dinged a little bit. Well, well, let's let's pause there, um, because you know, let's talk about some of these choices. I agree with you. There are way too many scenes, including just standing at Sam's house, mm. where they're obviously going to be spotted. Right? You are not very <laughs> effective robots in disguise, yeah. and sometimes they they hang a light on that problem. And sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. Um, but either way, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, including at the very end of the movie. It's not even clear that they're still hiding, but we know that they're still hiding. Mm. Um, you know, but Optimus is just standing in a field again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like all 30 like, feet of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and so, but that's, you know, I like this thing you had about the protoforms. And that was one of the, the things that um, I have mixed views about because like protoforms and transformers mean something i don't like what they mean as far as like how transformers choose their forms and everything this is all part of the mythology that has sort of sprung mm-hmm. up post g1 um you know i don't like i didn't like the 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 all spark you know instead of the matrix uh they use that so they didn't have to use the word matrix so soon after the matrix movies uh, and then they use the Matrix in the next movie anyway. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I never liked the Allspark. That's invented here. Every movie's kind of got to have a MacGuffin. I'm so sick of Transformers MacGuffins. Uh, I can forgive it in the animated movie with the Matrix, but, you know, the Allspark is, again, like the kernel. It starts mm-hmm. down this road. Mm-hmm. Um, the protoforms thing, I mean, but at least there's thought put into that. Mm. And I think you can see a thoughtfulness in this movie mm. that isn't there in, in the sequels. That, you know, that protoform idea is part of why do they have ships is exactly as you say. Also, this movie is careful with uh, size. Yeah. One of the key problems with Transformers is that, you know, like uh, you know, Megatron would turn into a handheld pistol. Right. Yes. Except when it needs to be turned in, except when it needs to be held by Starscream, who's got enormous hands, and then yeah. it's exactly the size of his <laughs> hands. You know, a giant robots turn into cassette tapes. I mean, so there was this mass shifting problem of mm. the original show. It came from the toys being different sizes and coming from different lines uh, originally, and. So, you know, this is a problem, and Bay was determined to fix that problem. Now, it's still there. Let's be crystal clear. It's still mm. there. Um, Starscream should be enormous. Starscream mm-hmm. should be, you know, a lot bigger than it really is. Um, uh, so should Megatron. And their size does change moment by moment, right? Um, having said that, um, you know, they did not include RC as a motorcycle because they would in the next film, but Bay Mm. thought it would be too small, you know, and and, and had to be too small. And secondly, you know, like Optimus Prime's cab has an extension on it. And that's explicitly to give him more more mass so that he's bigger in robot mode. Mm. So there's a thoughtfulness to this, like you said, with this arrival scene that, um, that is not there in other movies. And even if I don't agree with all of their answers, I respect that they've tried to make the Transformers make a little more sense because I love the Transformers, but there's nothing especially logical or consistent about them. Well, it is. It's that thing, like you say, it works for me, that that revival scene. I love this this, this thing of the mass shift and the fact they, they do try to address it to an extent. And like you said, there's a little bit of it still, but like it's not, noticeable enough to be like oh Megatron's a handgun and now he's a giant robot like it's not <laughs> as bad as that um, but like I say one of the things is that you have all that sign a lot of you know like I say consideration given to it but then when they're all introduced in that alleyway and stuff and it's trying to be sort of like you know oh, I am Optimus Prime blah, blah. and you have Peter Cullen doing the voice and it's like oh cool you know it's the vo- it is the voice of Optimus Prime it's great mm-hmm. and I love all that Um when they get introduced, we've mentioned about Jazz doing his back, his break dancing, which is, <laughs> which is possibly the worst part of that scene. Mm-hmm. But you then sort of have Bumblebee sort of like you know, dance, you know, was it like float like a butterfly, dance, you know, sting like a bee, kind of sort of doing his boxing thing. And then Iron Iron just sort of like you know threatens him with his with his cannons. He's like, I'm just joking. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to show off my cannons, and you're just like, it's always it's trying to give a glimpse of each of the characters, but it feels really weirdly rushed and like, awkward that whole scene um and then because it's followed by the they go to the witwicky house and it's all that sort of like we're trying to hide massive robots around this house and there's the whole earthquake scene you know earthquake mm. scene so it's sort Joke. of yeah that whole bit becomes the awkwardness where i'm like 
oh, you started so well with this. And I love the designs when you do see them change and stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm, I get that overly massively overcomplicated and some of the transformations, but I like the designs enough. But then when they're sort of hiding around that house and then they all change into the vehicles in the garden and stuff, it's like, wait a minute, you're telling us you've learned all this stuff from the internet it's enough to be yeah, able to, right. to, to learn our language and sort of stuff, you know, to change into things, but yet you haven't figured out that having a sort of a truck in the back of someone's garden is going to be a problem. Yeah, no, I mean, I like that scene where mm. they're like, you know, you're not hiding, you know, yeah. I think it's funny. It works for me. Um, but there are other scenes that I that I don't like like that, where it's clear mm. they don't understand anything about Earth, Earth culture. I would say that thing with Ironhide, which he explicitly asked permission to murder the Witwicky parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would say that's another one of these kernels where, you know, you pointed out that as they're introduced, Jazz is sort of the racist kernel. There's also this problem of sort of the the Bayesianess, as, as uh, mm. you referenced um, but also, I would say, like, forgetting what a good guy is. Yeah. Uh, you know, where it's kind of funny that Ironhide is the weapons expert, is always wanting to shoot things and shoot humans. But this will be a problem in later movies, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and straight up Optimus, you know, not long after that, once uh, Sector 7 strangely detects radiation, which is never mentioned again in any of the <laughs> Transformers movies, like, they're poisoning all of their allies um you know and then optimus prime flees and he's stepping over manned civilian cars he's endangering human lives this happens several times in this movie mm. where i would also put that in this kind of kernel of like i give it a pass here but it's this weird way in which the heroes aren't heroes yeah there's there's there's, there's a level of this and i've always thought about this as you know in action movies and stuff Heroic actions are given a pass. So, for example, I always think of um, like the Lethal Weapon films or Commando with Arnie or something like that. Like, someone opens fire in a public space. If it's the hero shooting down baddies, <laughs> it's fine because they're doing it to the baddies. We're forgetting about stray bullets and all this other stuff. Like, you don't mm-hmm. think about those things. And it's very much the same here, where they are the they are. We know they are the heroes because they are the title characters. They are the Autobots. You know they have they've had the heroic music, blah blah blah. They've been introduced as the heroes. So when they do things like threaten to kill the people in Sector <laughs> Seven and demolish the car and stuff, you're a little bit like, oh, it's taken because Sector Seven is the bad government coming in to do this mm. stuff. Which, to be fair, and this is the thing, they do then sort of like have the thing where I like say Optimus. I love the fact that like, basically Optimus rips the top off a car. By lifting it up and then rips the top off to threaten them and stuff, mm-hmm. having and and you know could quite easily, as you said, have killed people in several occasions, like by accident. When they take down Bumblebee and they freeze him and stuff, and I think that scene works incredibly well as well. That's like really heartfelt scene where they they're, they're hitting him with the nitrogen, uh, the you know the liquid nitrogen, and all that other stuff works well. And you get like Sam runs in and tackles one of the guys and stuff. Love it. But then when he's taken an Optimus, they're actually saying to Optimus, like, we've got to go save Bumblebee. And they're like, no, there's no way of doing this without hurting people, mm-hmm. humans. And I'm right. going, it doesn't seem to bother you a great deal in some of the scenes. <laughs> like, you really seem to be yeah. quite choosy about how this works. 
Well, and, and I think this gets to be a bigger problem in the sequel. Yes. I mean, this is sort of like the movies forgetting these rules, right? Yeah. But, you know, to be fair, every Batman story, yeah, yeah. you know, for 25 years has had the same problem, right? Like, well, every I don't superhero film. I just every... drop them off buildings. Yeah, you know? every superhero film does it. Like, let's not, let's yeah. not kid ourselves. Like, every super, we, you know, we, everyone, everyone um, launches into Man of Steel as being mm. possibly the, one of the worst examples of this thing and stuff. And to the extent that like, even the sequels tried to redirect, to re- oh, yeah. direct for it. But they're all as bad as each other. Well, I mean, look, when you're driving the Batmobile through crowded city streets, with machine guns, you know, even Tim Burton knew, you know, like you see people yeah. running out of the way. You've got Gatling guns and you're firing <laughs> Gatling guns on the streets of a metropolis. Fl- you know. Flying in with the Batwing and just opening up with missiles. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, uh, and then the Batwing crashes. Oh, mm. yeah. That's called endangering people. I mean, <laughs> like a, a company would be sued for doing this and rightly so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so this is not unique to the Transformers franchise. No, no, but, no. But the same way that Bay's style of cinematography sort of gets a pass, gives you, you know, you can kind of elide those logical flaws where you're like, why are they here again? How did they get to this? You sort of forget that. This is something that kind of works in reverse, that the endangerment of civilians, you can kind of give a pass to in Commando and, and action movies and superhero movies generally. Mm-hmm. But sometimes Bay like makes such a point of showing you that, you know, like there's no need for Ironhide to beg on multiple occasions to murder people. Yeah. <laughs> there's no need for this. No. I mean, it's, it's interesting that it is, it's um, in the finale, in the big battle in the scene, there's a point where, um, and I'm not, they're trying to do something, but Megatron's fighting Optimus, and Optimus gets thrown into the side of an office building, and you mm. see it from the perspective of the people sat in an office. Firstly, why they're still in the office, I have no idea. <laughs> At this point, like the city's being bombed to shit, like it's gone off the radar, like it's gone off, like the whole thing's on the, and there's still some people seem to be sat at their desk. That's a, mm-hmm. that, that's I tell you what, that is an American uh, attitude towards work that is commendable <laughs> because every Brit has gone at that point. Um, but well, they, they, actually, it hits... I was just talking to, I actually just talked to people in Hawaii who got the text message saying, "You are a nuke is on its way." Right, right. This is not a joke, right? Mm. And this is, and the text says, "This is not a drill." A nuclear missile is on its way, and their response was to go to work and put in a full days of work while they <laughs> yeah. wait at, with, while they wait to be nuked. And they're like, "Well, did you not think it was real?" Oh no, we all thought it was real. We just thought, well, you know, I thought, okay, that. So in fairness, nothing better. Yeah, it's a fair <laughs> you know, point. Americans do. Yeah. You know. Um, but the thing is, so he does that, and they all get away, and then he sort of like falls off the building, and you still see him land in the street. And you see that he sort of lands perfectly between mm. two crowds of people like no one is hurt. They're trying to sort of hammer home that there are people about, but they're not getting hurt. However, they also then go back to the heart of the battle and you never see bodies, like you never see bodies, mm-hmm. but the, you have you have seen cafes get struck. You have seen like at one point like Ironhide sort of diving over, doing slow-mo somersaults and firing rockets and all this other stuff. Like people have been killed in this scenario. Oh, yeah. Thousands of people are dead. Yeah, there's a but, jet a jet slam into skyscrapers. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, 
like I, this is not that long after 9-11 yeah so i was kind of i F-22s. thought that. yeah um and so yeah i am thinking that whilst i'm watching this and going like this is carnage but it's doing it in a cartoony enough way do you know what i mean like you know mm-hmm. you've it's done in a cartoony enough way that i'm like I'm able to accept this as fantasy and I'm able to put that aside that like, you know, it's not in the same way that action movies kind of do that. You're supposed to accept them as that sort of like action fantasy thing of, Oh, you know, die hard four, for example, like, yeah, he's going to fly a jet or he's going to travel on the wing of a jet when he jumps off a lorry and it's going to do this and that. Like, Mm. Yeah. Okay, you know, like I'm going to sort of, it's fun enough that I'm going to enjoy it, you know, but I'm not going to worry about it. Um, yeah, I can't accept that in in those later diehards. But no, I no, mean, no. But I'm I'm trying to think of know. a good example. But the yeah, point I, that... I resent the. I want to see the bodies, right? I mean, mm. I'm the guy, and I say this about Man of Steel too. I mean, mm. Man of Steel pulls his punches. Um, I want to see the bodies, and and I think the closest we get is there's a car that's clearly got people in it that Megatron picks up and throws. Yeah. And again, you don't see the bodies, but it's clearly like, oh, those people are dead. I mean, this is yeah. Miracle Man. Yes, you know? I, yeah, so, I agree. But, you know, so I hate the sort of falling Optimus problem, you know, uh, but it is clear, like it really sells. I don't know about the cartoonishness. I, if anything, I would say kind of the opposite, that like it really sells this is war. Mm. And, you know, this is war in an urban setting and people are going to get killed. Yeah, yeah, I no, I'll get you right. honest about that. But... OK, let, yeah, let, maybe I'll rephrase it. What I mean is to use let, let me use Black Hawk Down as that as a comparison mm. piece. And because we're talking about urban war or in that kind of environment and it does it throughout this film, because you have like the whole fight in the Qatar village. And they use the sort of the, you know they've got the plane that comes in with the f the big fifty round fifty caliber guns and stuff like that, whatever bullets it's got. Um, the 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 war the battling is good and I feel it. It feels gritty. It feels dirty. It feels chaotic. And so I'm sort of feeling that same comparison where I'm like, yeah, it feels like a war and I'm getting that chaos. The one thing, um, however, is. As you say, when you watch, say, Black Hawk Down or one of those other sort of like, you know, legit warmers, you see the people getting shot and you'll see the sort of the bodies and, and that sort of thing. And Bay won't hold his punches. Like, if you go watch, let's say, 13 hours mm-hmm. and that, you'll see that he will do that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I do think that sort of like you say, this is a kid's, this is intended to be a sort of like a kid's film, a <laughs> sign of franchise. Um, and so you have to elevate it above that to be showing people running. So you have the people leaving the, mm-hmm. the, the field of war and all this other stuff. They constantly want to show people escaping. And then they will mm-hmm. show like empty shops or empty cafes or whatever to show they've got away. But yeah, you sort of know. So that's the cartoonish that I'm saying. They're saying, okay, we're going to oh, yeah, give yeah. you the. I, I hear you. We're going to give you that cartoonishness that we you have to accept that people are safe. But you watch this and you go, oh, no, no, no. They're picking body parts out of that pavement for weeks after this. Oh, like yeah. Um, and all of the Autobots have fallen and squashed people. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And they're also very spiky and very complicated. Like they're picking body, like hair and flesh and blood out of their, out of their gears. Like, oh. You know. oh, yeah. No, yeah, um, and they should. I mean, I wish that were in there, you know. Yeah. But you're right. I mean we have a weird attitude toward violence where, mm. you know, 
there's plenty of massive violence in this, but yeah, showing the, real consequences. Yeah, one of the things I want to sort of highlight that I did, I do like, and I'm, you know, I think works. Because you say about the sort of the CGI, so I think the CGI in this is very, very good. Like they've clearly put a lot of work into it. It's not now, it's not like now where they're crunching through it to get as much done with as little sort of time. Um, this use of the transformation though. So there's scenes of like, you know, like say Starscream transforming in the air into from a jet into a robot and then back. Um, others doing a similar thing where, you know, you see uh, transformation as part of movement, you know, at times and stuff mm-hmm. like um, really works. Um, you know, they've done it throughout the film, but parts like you'll see like Bumblebee, you know, the car will jump off and he'll transform to catch people. And they use it in other later in the sequels as well, both. I don't know, it just works well in this film where they'll show um, the transformations work well. I think um, Megatron's first transformation, like he literally just jumps and transforms into that big, like, you know, alien jet thing. Cybertronian jet. Yeah, and I'm like, cool, it looks good. Like, it, you know, the, those transformations. But when they have transformations in the battles, it, it again, it mm. they use the transformation as part of their... Um, offensive or as part of their defense as well. Like, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Do you, do you know what well, I mean? No, I agree. And and that's always been kind of there in the Transformers. Like, you know, you'll yeah. have like a, a car that like an arm comes out of because you need it for the script at that moment to hold something, um, you know, and weird stuff like that. And occasionally it'll be used sort of like in a strategic military way. But you're right. I mean, I think, and I think to me, uh, the two best fights illustrate this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one is the Bone Crusher versus Optimus Prime uh, going into Mission City, uh, where I just think it's one of the best action scenes ever. Uh, where you know, Bone Crusher, you know, I mean, you see this mind sweeping vehicle tear through a car and transform <laughs> into robot mode, and you're just watching it swat cars on the highway left and right. The carnage is great, and it's driving on wheels. Like its feet mm. have the wheels from the car on it, so it's basically like on roller, roller skating. Skates. Yeah, and it looks just absolutely terrifying. This—that's an example where, of a bay design that I really like. Yeah, um, where it just looks spindly and spiky and just terrifying. And um, and there again, Optimus is clearly endangering humans, but you feel as if he has no chance. Um, like and you know humans are dead, right? Because bone mm. they're driving and bone crushers slapping them, just away. flinging cars left and right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the terror of that is really well done. But the best example of this transformation thing you're talking about is Starscream fighting the Raptors. Yes, um, the F twenty twos, where that has got to be one of the coolest sequences. You know, like that's something I I feel like that's something every time I watch it, I feel like I waited my whole life to see this, like to watch. A transformer in battle, transforming in flight, dropping back, landing mm. on a on a plane, transforming back into a plane, and now being behind one and being able to maneuver better using transformation, um, and doing this over a city. I mean, yeah. <laughs> watching the jets slam into buildings, and it's just staggering, mind blowing. Even seeing it for the upteenth time. No, I agree. I think it works really well, and I think it's one of those things we've said about. You know, like the the proto forms and that thing. It's like this is where they've put some thought into it. Like they've really considered, you know, they've storyboarded this out and they've done. I can imagine they've done the animatics and all this other stuff. Like they've really put some thought into like how this is going to work. 
does it always work in the fights? Because, you know, sometimes it's a bit like, oh, they're tumbling who's doing what to what body part kind of thing. I get that. But again, that sort of, I think, adds to the chaos. But there's some 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 shots and some scenes in this. Are, are like, and I think that's my favourite is the Starscream versus the Raptors. I think that and those those jets. It's just so well done. It's just, it's so well thought out. And it's so violent in that way of just aggressiveness. Um, it, 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 yeah, it's a really well done scene um and that's so yeah i'm really keen on all that there is another thing i would say which which kind of makes me chuckle um is the opposite is when they do sort of is you know there's some, it, there's a little bit of baziness coming on mm-hmm. uh, for example um two things i want to throw out is when sam gets to the top of that building uh the whatever it is big building and then you have, you know, he's under threat from Megatron, who's basically ripping his way through that building. And I kind of like that, that like Megatron's just sort of like, you know, this isn't going to stop me. He's like, I'm coming for you, boy. Uh, <laughs> Hugh, is it Hugo Weaving that did the voice of Megatron? Um, yeah. Uh, well, in-, in the film, yeah. yeah. Um, it was really good. But so he's tearing his way through that building. And then you sort of have Optimus Prime running from roof to roof. Mm. And jumping as he's gone through, and in my head, I may not have noticed it before, but watching this time, I was like, "You weigh tons, and you're when you're running from foot to foot, all your weight landing on those places would not support you in any way, shape, or form." So there's little bits like that where I'm like, "You've just done something really, really cool, and now you're sort of like you're asking me to accept something that looks a bit silly." So this is what I'm saying: they sort of like give with one hand and take with the other, but. Overall, yeah. it works because I'm not supposed... It's only because I was coming out with a critical eye, I think, more than anything this time, that I was going, okay, that looks a bit silly, but... Yeah, and to me, that like the same thing is true when they step in the street. I mean, if yeah. you've ever seen like the damage done by a semi-truck that's just dragging something, yeah. I mean, it tears the street up. You have to repave the entire street. When Optimus Prime is stepping on the, every single one of his footsteps, it's tearing up the, the concrete people can't drive over that anymore, you know, yeah. in a regular tire. I mean, you know, this would be much more chaotic, but you know, I, you're completely right. And I kind of classify that, that as like part of the lack of blood, lack of body parts, lack of, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. just, it's realistic enough that I'm really happy, but I of, of course always wish it were more realistic. And yeah. I saw the body parts and, and I saw that real physics. Yeah, I mean, um, having said that, we are talking about alien robots fighting in an unnamed American city, you know. But, but yeah, I agree. Well, I think. Well, so so two points about that. One is it is an unnamed it's Mission City, which is a city that doesn't exist. Obviously, <laughs> it is basically Las Vegas, right? Yes. So Las Vegas is twenty five miles away from the Hoover Dam. Mission City is twenty two miles away. Um, but it looks in the like other direction. In, in the other, is it in the other <laughs> I, direction? It must be like I, I guess. But why does it look like New York? It's not in the desert. I <laughs> have, I have a, a I, I have a theory about this, and mm. I think there is a, and I could be miles off, and I've just, I've not looked at anything, but I have a guess that there is a version of a script where that mm. final battle happens on the strip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that, but maybe there was, there was what uh, cost or yeah. that was too close to, 
reality. It's not representative enough to watch them destroy. I, yeah, but I do think if they were gonna if they gone from Hoover Dam, they're gonna be battle. I honestly mm-hmm. think at some point there was an uh, there was a discussion where they were gonna fight. Mm-hmm. That that battle was gonna be in Las Vegas, and that was gonna be a fight on the Strip. It'd have been cool. I'd have been all in for that. It would have been been awesome. Yeah. Well, and I'm irritated that, like, you know, I really like the third movie. Actually, I think it's actually good. But uh, and the which one's that? Which one's which one's the third one? The devastation in Chicago. Oh, yeah, Battle of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Chicago laid waste. Yeah. And I know this. I know Chicago enough. Uh, So you know, you you really get a sense of a real place. It's so weird that it's Mission City. It's like it's like one of these, you know, Backlog City. Where it's like, <laughs> right? It's like it, it's like it's Gotham, but yeah. now you know Batman's going to have an adventure in uh, Los Angeles. You know, like, well, wait, um, yeah. So it's a little strange. The other thing that's really upsetting about that is that all of these humans are dead. All of you know, like, okay, look, it is the. It is an amazing climax. I love mm-hmm. the last 20 minutes of this movie. It is devastatingly brutal. It is, you know, and it is the entire concept of the Transformers, their war, our Earth kind of idea, which we've never seen done mm-hmm. this one. I mean, this takes a key concept of all of these alien invasion stories, certainly of the Transformers franchise, and actually shows you what that would be like in a way that a cartoon with an unlimited budget refuse to do yeah having said that why are they in a city <laughs> yeah like they were at hoover dam literally uh apps uh whatever his name is uh says oh let's take the allspark and hide it you know how like you know superman's always like we're I, you know we're gonna take this fight out of the city this is the direct opposite and those grunts <laughs> who are constantly lionized in this movie to the point where the like Secretary of State says, like, you better do what he says. He's not accustomed to losing. This kind of like lionization of these soldiers, they are directly responsible for the yeah. destruction yeah. in Mission City, which happened for no reason. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, other than like, you know, it looks cool. Um mm-hmm. but you could save this. I mean, this is where one of those things where you you know again and i know i do this a lot but you have someone say right here's your destination that you've got to get to this we have this right. bunker we have the you know area 51 whatever the bloody hell you want to give it area 51 is a good one we've got to get to area 51 mm-hmm. from hoover dam because hoover dam has been compromised um however in order for you to get there you the only the only road available is through this this mission city you've got to go fast because we cannot put these people in jeopardy and then it's like oh crap it went wrong and now we are fighting in mission city like you know make it so you've got to do part of it. i don't know but it's it, you're right because otherwise it's like we found the most populated area in this desert state <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally and I mean, and also, like, those raptors that are there to fire yeah. on Megatron, <laughs> they're totally content with firing F-22 missiles into mm. a city street. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, which I'm okay with, but there should at least be some dialogue about, like, are you sure we should do this, right? Um, Give us permission. Give yeah. us permission kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm firing on American civilians, essentially. Um, this is, uh, but raw, raw military, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very confused. 
Yeah, you're right. But literally, the idea is, and in a movie that has the all-spark, you can mm. justify anything, right? There's no need to just say, let's hide the cube. Where should we hide it? In the most densely populated area possible. <laughs> like, I, I Yeah, we're, we're getting close to time. In fact, we're over time. But yeah. I want to sort of wrap up about two things. Because I do enjoy that kind of stuff, right? And there's two things I want to quickly touch on. We talked about the mass shifting. I don't understand the the all spark, how it's mm-hmm. a massive building size cube and then reduces down to something the size of a basketball, yet is able to be carried around by humans. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how the mass of that works at all. I'm going to accept it. It's fine, but it, again, it's ridiculous. <laughs> But we talk about the, the Allspark. The Allspark creates at least three three other transforming things. Evil, for a start, like, it creates mm-hmm. them. It, it creates a car that attacks its driver, a um, uh, a vending machine that starts firing off cans of people. Seven-up machine. Seven-up yeah. machine that starts attacking people. Yeah. And then and a, a, an Xbox uh, mm-hmm. robot as well. And like, there's no sort of like, yeah, we should really deal with those because, uh, like, we've just found like these people shot to death by Seven Up cans. <laughs> yeah, um, it's firing yeah. them out at 200 miles an hour, and uh, it's piercing people's craniums. Yeah. No, I mean that is slightly addressed in uh, the sequel, but um, yeah, that is a problem. It's not clear at all. I mean, the Allspark is stupid, right? Yeah. But you know, and. And, and and what really hurts me is the Allspark was invented for this movie and it's been in almost every iteration of the Transformers since. It's only here because you didn't want to use the Matrix, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is a dumb idea. And how the Transformers reproduce, which it's tied to, is all kinds of messed up and stupid. Um, yeah, it's not clear why they're evil. Um it is true, Cause it's, though. Because it's Sam that's holding it as well. So it's not I like know. it's Megatron that's trying to create more soldiers. Yeah, it's bizarre. Right. Is the Allspark evil? Well, so there is a line of toys that was created for this movie um, that was actually planned earlier. But it's basically, it was called Real, Real Gear Robots. And it was basically like cell phones and uh, cameras and mm. basically... And so... It, it all basically like uh, Soundwave and Blaster and all and Perceptor and all that kind of mm. one-to-one uh, scale stuff. Um, and they said, yeah, this is the stuff the AllSpark animated. And they're all running around in this universe now. Uh, so I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, how did you keep this a secret? Like, there's no way any of this yeah. is going to be kept a secret. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's just that that bothered me a bit more than anything. There's the mass shifting, but then also the evil robots that seem to come out of nowhere, like the vending machine in particular, where it forms a seven up like Gatling gun. But um, I love the vending machine, but it's a yeah, great design. But, but I don't know. I don't understand why it's attacking people. No, I don't either. I, but again, it's kind of like Bay's going for the joke, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it and it works as a thirty second bit of film, right? Like I like it. I don't know how it fits with this universe. Yeah. Anyway, that's the thing. So, any final thoughts then on Transformers 2007? Uh, I think this is a good movie. I love the I love the climax of that sense of real war and real stakes. Um, but I I also you know want to to wrap up. I just want to say that there are two moments that really sell this for me and that really stuck with me as uh, as a viewer this time. 
One is an hour in, uh, as Sam turns to Michaela and says, you know, 50 years from now, when you're looking back at your life, do you want to be able to say uh, that you got in the car? Um, and it's this moment where that's the moment in the hero's journey where they accept the, the mission. Um, but it works. It has that movie magic. You know, uh, this is, it sells itself, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then selling the desperation of that final fight, even if Sam running with a, you know, the all spark, the MacGuffin, you know, while he's being pursued by giant robots is, is weak at times. Um, you know, we're two hours in and Michaela and Sam are holding hands. And at this point, I can totally believe that they've had a love connection. Yeah. Despite the film's problems, because they've been through this adversity together, uh, where she says to him, knowing he might die, you know, no matter what happens, I'm glad I got into that car. And he, becomes a hero at that moment and runs mm. off knowing the danger. Um, those moments work. Damn it, mm. they don't work. And that's that kind of Spielbergian heart at the core of this film um, that, uh, you know, really helps it transcend. No, I think that's a really good point because I think you're right. That's that's where this one works is that I think the human characters do work for the most part. I think there is a, you feel that that Spielbergian heart and i love that phrase because i think that's there and i think you're right um key it's almost like it's anchoring and i feel it's it's uh it's anchoring bay where you know it's like hold back hold back you don't, you don't need to do everything right you know um and it works because of that um and you see this with the, the directors again i sort of you know i often think this about the Bat- tim burton and the batman films oh, i love both of his burton batman films but Clearly, he was held back with the first one. Then they were like, "Cool, go for it," and you get Batman Returns, um, which is like a gothic nightmare of a of a sort of superhero film. Um, but it's there, and I think they say it works because you do feel those moments of connection between these characters. And I think you know, whatever people, whatever has become of Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf since, in you know, what reputation they have, I think they both do a fantastic job in this film. I think they really do stand out. I think there's many other in the cast that do well. Although they are weird, like John Totoro seems to, is, is an odd character and, and choice. Um, yeah, and there's a few of the bits and pieces, but at the heart of it, the heart of this film works. And again, I think the Transformers work in that sense. Yes, you know, jazz is clearly an issue. I have kind, I do kind of have issues with Ironhide uh, and his attitude, but the relationship with Bumblebee works. Uh, Optimus Prime is brilliantly done in this i think peter cullen the fact they got peter cullen to do it was was a stroke of genius because it hits that sort of like you know nostalgia um and I, I just think a lot of this sort of works and when it works you said when it works it works and it works enough for me that when it does come to the rest of it the baziness and some of the silliness and those moments of like head scratching there's enough good going on that i'm like yeah do you know what I'm fine. I'm I'm riding this roller coaster, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to you know have fun with it, and I'm I'm you know there's enough goodwill for me to get through this and come out the other end having had fun and smiling. Some of the sequels won't have that, <laughs> <laughs> and they're longer and more difficult to watch. Um, but this first one I think is a real standout, and I think it does. You know, it unfortunately I think it gets tarnished and and tarred with the brush of the sequels. But this is a definitely a, a a a standout film, and weirdly, 
just as a final note, as, as this sort of sub-genre of Saturday morning cartoon adaptations, I still think this is one of the best, especially of the 21st century. Uh, comparing this to the G.I. Joe films or the Ninja Turtle films or, you know, uh, that came, I think, you know, uh, even Snake Eyes, which came more recently, like, you know, this film, Transformers, I think it still stands as, as possibly one of the best. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, it's been a joy talking about this. Mm. Uh, and, and if other people uh, are like the Transformers, you know, we'll be talking on Patreon about the first uh, three-part uh, series of the yes. original uh, animated show. Oh, yeah. I'm and I'm sure that. I'll force Scott to, to do uh, every <laughs> one of the sequels uh, if we last enough. We will fit. Yeah, we both sort of have a sort of, you know, we've done... I'll make I'll make uh, I'll, you know we'll, we'll see what we both have to sit through re- uh, Return of the Jedi at some point to finish mm. off the Star Wars trilogy. There are other things. I'll, you know maybe there's a franchise I can make sort of <laughs> Julian go through. We're going to be doing Guardians the, of the, the Galaxy. Al- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan well, Porter Main or uh, you know. Yes, I'll find something. We've done all the Quatermass. Quatermass. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we haven't done all the Quatermass. There is one more, but it's more of a TV show, so we'll cover that one day. Mm. Uh, anyway, no, you're right. On Patreon, go check out what we've done Patreon. We call it like, you know, it's it's uh, stories out of time, uh, extras, really. I think is I'm not sure what we're going to call it, but we've recently done, um, we've recently done, what have we done? Um, Gal- you know, besides Twilight Zone, we've also done Battle Royale 2. That was it. God almighty, my brain went completely blank. That's right. Battle Royale 2. And Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the original BBC show. Yes. Uh, you and I, having loved that show growing up, I think we had very interesting things to say. It really helped me understand that show better, uh, talking with you about it. Yeah, that um, was a great exploration. I said those six episodes from 1981, that was a, a, a good, a uh, bit of a deep dive on that. So if you like what we do on that, it, you know, they're, they're an hour long. We've really tried to keep them sort of, you know, focused on that, but we have. So, so far we have done Battle Royale 2, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the original TV series, and we are going to be doing. Is it called More Than Meets the Eye? The the original three part. No, the, the original. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, of, uh, of of Transformers, the animated series. So we're going to get more Transformers, and uh, yeah, we're going to be doing this more as we go forwards. We've got um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and we're going to be doing mm-hmm. the um, the shorts that were done to try and fill some of the gaps between the the original and the new one. Uh, and there'll be other stuff as well that we'll, we will get in there. So you're going to be getting some stories out of time extras. Um, and so, yeah, if you like what we're doing now, go check out the Patreon for £5, which is less than sort of $5 a month. Or whatever, it's around that, around $5 a month, you will get some extra stories out of time and space. So that's fantastic. Go check it out. Yeah, multiple stuff every week. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. I mean... Twilight Zone, me talking 30 minute thoughts. And we are working on some other ideas that are going to be coming down the road. And not all of it audible. You know, we are going to be talking about some more physical things. We'll keep that mm-hmm. under wraps for now until we sort mm-hmm. of finish. But uh, maybe for the end of the season, yeah, towards the end of the season, we'll announce that. But anyway, yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much all for your support. If you do like what we're doing, obviously leave a review. Go check out the page one, as we've said. Um, but for now, uh, thank you very much. And uh, we shall see you on the next episode. 